Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. 30th of May here in Auckland. Day after the IPL final with an expansion team, the Gujarat Titans, bringing home the title. We're going to talk a little bit of IPL. We'll also talk a Black Caps England preview and plenty of news going on in the women's game as well here in New Zealand with the contract list released. This week, a few items of conjecture all coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we'll start off uh, our Indian listeners. Climax of IPL 2022 in front of a packed uh, stadium, 100,000 people for, I think I'm right in saying Gujarat's first um, home game actually at the stadium throughout the course of the tournament um, and look a pretty good way to, to christen the new digs um, a resounding victory in the IPL final against the the Rajasthan Royals boys what did you make of uh, of the game well look I mean you, you talked about a few things in that intro there it, it, it hasn't been a great week for New Zealand cricket uh, I think on the whole but but wonderful that uh, we can at least celebrate an IPL winner of course we were going to have an IPL winner no matter who won that final which was encouraging but I mean I, I don't know I mean I think you've really just got to start by giving massive amount of credit to that that Gujarat team I I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who tipped them to w- actually win the tournament at the start of it maybe I'm wrong maybe I was looking in all the right wrong places when I was looking at, at early predictions but you know I think even when we talked about it we talked about I guess we we talked about some of their strengths but we also saw sort saw a lot of weaknesses in their side but as that tournament progressed Everything that you thought was a weakness about their side just became a strength. Yeah, they've been excellent up and down throughout this competition, Gujarat Titans. They were probably the best team along with Rajasthan in a fitting final it was. The only thing that really surprised me was, is that it was a low-scoring affair. The Royals only managing 130 for nine and then Gujarat running that down, only three down and an excellent performance from Hardik Pandya with the bat and the ball to showcase the fact that he's been their talisman all season. He's been their best player. He's been their leading run scorer. He's been up there in terms of the contributions with the ball, maybe not taking wickets all the time, but he's been certainly their best player, their marquee buy, and he's proven to be the most valuable player for them throughout the course of the series. Yeah, look... Look, I guess I'm not surprised it was a low-scoring game. You often see that in finals, don't you, where there's a little bit of pressure on both of the teams. I think uh, one thing I would say is, you know, credit to the groundsmen over the course of this tournament, 74-odd games and barely a, you know, barely a bad wicket um, in in the tournament. Look, I think the two key things for me, it, it would have been really interesting if Rajasthan could have got another 25 or 30 runs um, to get somewhere near that sort of 160, uh, 170 marker, I guess, because I think that that could have been, um, look, a little bit of squeaky bum for, for Gujarat. Um, but yeah, look, Pandya obviously played a, a magnificent hand. And also just a shout out, I think, to, to David Miller, who kind of found his form towards the end of the tournament, didn't he? Uh, you know, sixty odd against um, the Royals in that uh, th- that game just a week or so ago. Um, yeah, decent contribution uh, against the RCB as well. So he's kind of finished the tournament pretty strong, and then 
look at a decisive little red inker last night to ease any nerves. Um, yeah, certainly. Um, look, I wouldn't mind his, you know, his sort of backswing as my golf swing because he certainly hits uh, hits the ball pretty cleanly. Uh, the other thing I'd I'd say, you know, Trent Bolt, I think would be pretty disappointed that they didn't pouch Shubman Gill um, early in that innings. Dropped a dolly, they set the trap for him at uh, sort of a, a very very uh, square square leg. Um, and, and Gill then just actually played almost the same sort of innings as Butler, didn't he? Um, you know, run a ball, couldn't really get going, but just sort of made, made sure his, his team stayed in the game with, uh, with his contribution. But look, fantastic for the franchise expansion teams. Look now and, and Gujarat, um, and going to be very, yeah, very interesting to see how, um, how they go in their sophomore year. Well, let's just touch on that in terms of the expansion franchises because I think it's been an outstanding and resounding success for the IPL, both in terms of introducing two new markets to an already burgeoning tournament. Yes, it's a very, very long tournament now, but it was the same number of matches last year. The thing that has impressed me is that even though we've seen lots and lots of new names come into the into the IPL in terms of there being a whole bunch of new players now for those franchises, the actual quality of the cricket has still been really, really good. Yes, there have been some players in the teams that might have been, quote unquote, maybe making up numbers, but I think by and large, we've still seen a pretty high quality tournament. We've seen lots of runs scored. We've seen lots of big hundreds from all of the superstar players and we've seen some really interesting talent again emerge from some of these production systems you know uh to like verma from from mumbai uh, and there are a number of other players as well that have started to emerge uh so i think the fact that they've expanded the franchises to 10 the the kind of committee organizers will be sitting and looking at that and thinking yeah we've done a good job here this is the right decision to have made yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I'm I'm sure, as you say, those committee organisers, when they look at things, obviously dollars and cents come into that quite a lot. And um, I would say that's a big factor in why we're still seeing 74 games or whatever it is. It's It definitely still feels like that tournament's too long. We, we've seen that with uh, the BBL. We've talked about that. I think, all, you know, all the tournaments, I guess, are trying to maximise their earning potential. But I completely agree with you that the, the cricket hasn't, hasn't suffered at all. It's I, I think you're always in a T Twenty. You're always going to get those players that bat five or six and maybe don't bowl. That are, when you've got all ra- good all rounders in your side, you know you look at all of these teams that that made the finals. Probably uh, Rajasthan's the the example where they actually. I mean, Ravi Ashwin obviously contributed a reasonable amount with the bat, but for the most part, they have five bowlers and they have you know, five or six batters in their side. Whereas these other sides, there's the likes of Glenn Maxwell. We talked about Hardik Pandya, all these players that contribute. And, and as soon as someone contributes more than one attribute, you've suddenly got someone filling a role where they either bowl one over, they're in the side as a bowler, or they, and they might only need to bowl one or two overs. Or you've got a batter who bats six or seven and might get shunted down the order because they you know, more more suited to coming in earlier in the innings than, than later in the innings. Controversy corner time now. I've got my take on the player of the tournament. I think it should be Hardik Pandya as an MVP of the tournament because of his performance in the final. Uh, And if we could differentiate between finals MVP and regular season MVP, I think we would have two clear-cut winners. But for me, Hardik Pandya for Gujarat, because they've won the championship now as the MVP of the tournament, I know, Adam, you're going to have a different view. Would you like a right of reply and to tell me how wrong I am and that Joss Butler is is the MVP of the tournament despite being in the losing side in the final? 
Yeah, so I don't know whether you've seen, there's this website called Quick Info mm. at Baldy. And, and what they do is that they actually give you an MVP of the tournament and an MVP of the final, which is what I think you oh, just there wished we go. for. And Pandia did, yeah, Pandia did get the MVP of the final. And then Butler got the MVP of the series. Look, I, I think it's pretty unequivocal in my view. The guy scored more than, you know, almost 250 runs more than anybody else in the tournament. Um, four centuries, which is um, equal record, um, to go along with you know with four fifties as well. So when you actually think about that, he played seventeen games and came off eight times at least, um, which in in T twenty is look is pretty impressive. Um, not to take away from the impact that um, that Pandya had, but look, I don't think thirty and three for really uh, qualifies you for MVP of the tournament. Um, but yeah, that would just be my view. Yes, no, it was a great wind-up, and, and we've got the outcome we wanted, and that is that, that <laughs> thinks he has advocated for. Look, to be fair, he's had an outstanding tournament. It is one of, if not perhaps, the best single season I've ever seen, certainly regular season, from any player, uh, let alone let alone an opening bat. Yeah, well, I mean, the the numbers will tell you that Virat Kohli's had a better season than this. There's, uh, yeah, certainly it's not the the best uh, of all time. I think he might have gone past David Warner. I can't can't remember. They were very close, and Butler had the last game. He, yes, he, he did, did go yeah. past Warner. Yeah, so those, you know, there's been some outstanding IPL seasons, but yeah, I, I guess probably from our point of view, we've focused on it more this this you know these past three or four years while we've been doing the podcasts. For listeners around the world, the IPL is on at a very awkward time for us to, to watch it um, in, in uh, you know, absolutely live at all times. But yeah, I, I think it's, I think the thing with Pandya that probably, it, it certainly goes unnoticed on the scorecard, the the impact that he's had. And, and I don't think, I know that there's been a lot talked about how, how he's been given a lot of credit for his captaincy in this tournament, but I, I don't think it's overblowing it. It certainly seems like, he has made, had a huge impact on that franchise for all the reasons we've just talked about. People didn't think that there was enough batting in this side and it took Hardik Pandya to put himself at four. And to score almost 500 runs in the tournament. Yeah, and it took you know, it took someone like him to actually inspire the rest of that side and show them that they can that they could contribute and always someone was standing up and yeah, I, I think he's had a massive impact, you know. I'm not in that dressing room, but yeah, I think his... Uh, to me, they're quite equal in terms of what they've actually brought to the tournament, but both both been absolutely excellent. Yeah, but, but guys, I, I'll just point out, I, I don't want to take anything away from, from Hardik Pandya. I think, um, you know, I, I hope this kicks on his career because he was sort of, you know, one of those promised stars when he was at Mumbai Indians, wasn't he? And never really started, started to get that, particularly that international career going to the extent that probably you, you thought he might early um, in his franchise career. I, I think also a shout out for Rashid Khan as well. Um, there were a lot of people sort of probably middle of the tournament talking about whether or not people had started to work him out a little bit, but um, towards the end of the tournament um, and, and, you know, has come really up with a good 19 wickets top in the Gujarat um, averages. And um, look, I guess really good to see that their bowling, you know, side managed to sort of mix things around pretty well. I know Lockie Ferguson um, takes home a record as well from this final the quickest ball in the tournament. Um, I've got to admit, I think they were turning those speed guns <laughs> up 157 kilometers, Scary, apparently. Um, a, de- a delivery from Lockie. Um, 
but yeah, look, they you know they they really did well, um, and 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 Saha as well, um, who you know is causing a little bit of off-field controversy at the moment. Apparently, refusing to play for his um, province in the Ranji Trophy, but he's been really important at the top of the order and has got uh, got the guys off to to pretty good starts on a number of occasions, um, despite probably not being you know thought of as a box office opening batter, certainly not a basher. Um, so yeah, they, they've got their game plans right, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think we we give them a massive amount of credit. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's any other areas you want to touch on before we move on from the IPL. I just want to touch on, and it was something that Adam has just highlighted there, is that looking forward to the next T20 World Cup, Hardik Pandya has almost written his name into the number four slot for India in that World Cup. I mean, they're chock full of stars. Let's let's not beat around the bush. That Indian side is going to be stacked full of superstars in that tournament in Australia, and they're going to bat on some pretty good batting wickets down there, admittedly with slightly bigger boundaries. But Hardik Pandya has inked himself in at number four, and now it's a case of putting a team almost, almost around him, and it's hard to believe that we're saying that, but India are going to put a side around him, and they're going to be an absolute force in that tournament if he can produce anything like what we've seen in the IPL from him. Mohamed Shami uh, had a great tournament, and I think he's he's got himself back in contention to, to go down to Australia because he's been really good when he's played down there. Um, he's he's a journeyman, and, and he's the kind of guy you need leading that attack. Um, there will still be question marks about a whole host of other players who's going to be in and out of that squad, but that's the thing that's really going to excite me over the next two or three months. What is going to happen with the makeup of that Indian squad as we build into the T20 World Cup. And of course, the question is, is Virat back? Is he going to make the cut for that tournament? You would think so, but who knows in that Indian setup, I assume that he's going to be there, but that'll be one to watch uh, leading up to the T20 World Cup, October, November in Australia. Well, guys, let's move on from IPL chat. Certainly that T20 World Cup, I think it's going to be a, a different tournament. Border, you alluded it to, to it there, really. The bigger grounds, I think. Um, we're not going to see, um, yeah, the, the rope cleared quite as many times, I don't think, in Australia. So um, room for those players like Kane, like Virat Kohli, I think, to um, to, to you know, play pre- proper cricket shots along the ground and not just sort of uh, hit 55-metre sixes. But, yeah, let's move on from the IPL. Lippy, there's been, look, fair to say some press, if not some controversy, around the announcement of the White Ferns contracts. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, a lowdown on what's what's happened there over the course of the last week or so? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone would have, if, if they have any you know minor interest in the White Ferns, they would have had to have their head in the sand this week to have not heard the news that Amy Satterthwaite has been... Uh, has lost her contract and it's caused her to retire from international cricket. She'll still be playing for the Magicians for, for this summer at least. But in, in addition to Amy, it's been Leah Tahuhu, Frankie Mackay, Lee Kasparik and Tamsin Newton who have lost their contracts and Katie Martin has retired. So six changes there out of the 17. A bunch of new players, all you know, relatively young players that New Zealand has made it very clear that they're, I guess, turning a corner. But I don't know, It's we've talked about, uh, you know, I mentioned it earlier, it hasn't been a great week for New Zealand cricket, and I don't know, it's just, there's been a lot of outrage, I can completely understand all of the outrage, I mean, for, I guess, someone who doesn't follow the international game, Amy Satterthwaite is on kind of a similar level as a Ross Taylor in terms of her impact on the New Zealand women's game, she's one of, you know, i, I I forget the actual numbers, but she's very close to the top of the ODI runs, top run scorer charts. She she is a legend of the White Ferns. And, you know, I, I guess I'm just puzzled by the whole situation. I don't really understand how 
you go into a contracting situation and you look at someone like that and say, you still want to play, but we don't think you have any value to offer for the next 12 months. It's, it's, it's a bizarre one for me. It certainly created a lot of controversy. I was sitting with friends uh, Saturday night. We were watching the Rugby League, uh, the National Rugby League in Australia. And all we did was talk about the Amy Satterthwaite situation and the New Zealand White Ferns contract situation for almost 90 minutes back and forth with a whole bunch of friends who two years ago probably wouldn't have talked to any women's cricket at all. So that shows you two things. One, how far women's cricket has come in the in the kind of conscience of, of the New Zealand sporting public, which is fantastic, but also how controversial this decision is where there were people violently opposed on both sides of the fence. One of them saying, well, New Zealand cricket should be able to set the contract situation uh, however they wish, and if they wish to turn the corner and move forward, then that's absolutely their prerogative and their right to do so. On the other side of the fence was the line of thinking that Amy Satterthwaite, as you pointed out, Stuart, has been a legend of New Zealand cricket and deserves to go out on her own terms. The really interesting wrinkle to this whole situation is that there are some really important tournaments coming up for New Zealand that they have a chance of winning and in the next 12 months I mean you have a look at those young players are the players that are going to come in going to impact winning those tournaments in the next 12 calendar months more do you think that Amy Satterthwaite in your view? I mean, I, I think it's I think it's very hard to argue that any of them will will contribute to uh, winning as as much as as she would. The the bizarre I guess the bizarre thing for me when you you look at that, and I suppose I can I can see that line of thinking that you look at that tournament that we played, you look at the last you know three or four international tournaments that we've played. I mean, you mentioned just before you said New Zealand has a chance of winning. I think they've looked at this, tried to have as very clear eyes as they could. And gone, actually, we don't have a chance of winning these tournaments. And the only way that we do have a chance of winning is if we develop a young core of players to build around maybe Amelia Kerr and, and Jess Kerr and, and the other young players in that side, Hannah Rowe, and actually build them up and bring them through, you know, two, you know, three years' time. And actually, I can see that because if you look at the women's game, when the women's game is not at a position like the men's game where domestic contracted players can play can earn a living playing domestic cricket I looked I tried to find some uh, numbers for domestic cricket in New Zealand I think the women's players this was a 2019 figure so it may have gone up but they earned about three thousand dollars for their domestic contracts so you know that they're, they're obvious that's that's not a situation where you can go and be a professional cricketer so actually if you look at it that way the New Zealand cricket the only way that New Zealand cricket can turn someone into a professional player is by giving them a white ferns contract, and you know maybe that's a, an issue with the background, and that actually you're going to have to invest more money if you want to build a, an international cricket side that can win these tournaments. But I don't know that I just don't see. It's just such a confusing situation because I, I don't see how you can, like you say, look at those. There's just no way that Amy Satterthwaite wouldn't be valuable player for New Zealand going forward. Yeah, look, guys, I, I've never really told you this, but I, I, my dream is that this podcast can cross over to be um, about cricket and also history as well. Um, so yeah, do write us in the top of the podcast at gmail.com. But um, to, to use that reference, this, this feels like revolution rather than evolution around that um, around that New Zealand side. And revolution, I look, in a sporting context, I don't think works. If we look back at sort of the history of when you 
you, you absolutely throw everything out. Yes, you might get to a destination, but even if I think about, you know, England and, we're, you know, we're talking about them a hell of a lot lately, that they've resisted the urge to say, look, we have to start an absolute blank piece of paper here. Um, and look, I, I know we've often poked fun at Bordy for his, you know, picks for the future where, you know, a 14-year-old opening batsman should be given six or seven years to get their <laughs> eye in um, a, a ahead of their 21st birthday. But th this just smacks of a, a really, really big decision, particularly when I don't think you've got a coach in place at the moment, have you, for, for the White Fern side as well? So is that decision-making structure around... Um, the environment, um, you, you know, even in the, the state that it should be to making such uh, such monumental decisions. Well, the reports are suggesting that the White Ferns coach will be Ben Sawyer, who was the Australian uh, women's assistant coach. Yeah, fast bowling coach, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I, I have absolutely no idea whether if that is the case, then whether he was involved in any of these discussions. I, from a few reports that I saw said that Amy was involved in the you know the consultation process for for uh, Ben's appointment so that would be very confusing if that if that actually took place mm. absolutely conjecture I, I have no idea if that's uh you know that's internet-based research that is not always accurate yeah so we're speculating here right but but I think the thing that sticks in the craw of a lot of New Zealand cricket fans and women's cricket fans is that they feel that Amy Satterthwaite deserved another 12 months maybe to go out on her own terms and I don't think that that's an unreasonable expectation for the length of career and the significance of the career that she's had because all we're left with now is we're left with two major tournaments in the space of the next 12 months where we feel like Amy Satterthwaite would have been a, a contributor to that side and a positive influence on that side would she have impact? Would she have made the difference between uh, New Zealand finishing fourth at the Com Games and fourth in the IPL? Uh, sorry, in the T Twenty World Cup, and then winning it? Maybe not. But I don't think New Zealand are any better positioned now to win those tournaments going forward. And if they're saying, "Well, we have to go backwards to go forwards," then there needs to be a crop of young players coming through, and I'm not talking about Amelia Kerr, Jess Kerr, Hannah Rowe, the, the, guy, the girls that are already in the squad. I'm talking about the six or seven or even eight young girls who are coming along behind that group that are forcing their way into the side. That's where I just don't see it. I just don't see a crop of young ladies in New Zealand that are forcing their way up and making such a compelling case to be in the squad that you have to leave Amy Satterthwaite out. And that's what's the most confusing part for me. Look, I hope that New Zealand cricket um, and the girls that come in are able to contribute positively towards New Zealand going in the right direction. And I really hope that that's the case. And we'll all support them. Whoever comes in, we'll absolutely support them as fans. But I just think Amy Satterthwaite maybe deserved... Um, an opportunity to go out on her own terms, as Ross Taylor has done to a certain extent in in his last twelve months in 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 his New Zealand contract. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, I think you probably should throw Leah Tahuhu in that in that mix as well. I think she's the leading uh, ODI uh, wicket taker for us. Absolutely. Uh, and um, you know, Frankie Mackay, who performed incredibly well in that World Cup, one of the the leading performers. And yeah, again, to say that uh, she wouldn't contribute to the next twelve months is is a bizarre thing for me, but I, I think we should, you know, we could debate this for a long time. I think that the final thing I guess to point out that you just mentioned it before is to uh, sort of celebrate those six players that have been brought in. I, I think it's really important. Fran Jonas, Molly Penfold, who have already had a little taste, and Georgia Plimmer as well, um, were in and around that World Cup squad. Fran Jonas obviously picked from the start. Georgia Plimmer brought in late uh, when Brooke Halliday went down, mm. uh, and then, oh sorry, when Lauren Down went down with an injury. 
And then uh, Molly Penfold was kind of a, well, she was, I was going to say non-travelling reserve, but she was in and around the squad and you could see her in, in the mix as well. And then you've got Izzy Gaze, Nancy Patel and Eden Carson. Carson, uh, an off-spinner who I really enjoyed watching in, in the Super Smash, did really well. They're all, you know, all young players. It's just, it's a big bet for New Zealand cricket. And it's, it feels like one of those bets that it has to pay off. Because if it doesn't pay off, there are going to be some consequences that, you know, you've t- I guess it's one of those things where you've taken a backward step to try and go too forward. And if you take that backward step and it doesn't pay off, yeah, we could be uh, could be in uh, in there for a while in this rebuild sort of situation. And, and just to wrap up, I think it's probably fair to acknowledge that the last couple of years for New Zealand women's cricket have been some of the most successful that you've ever had. You've gone from from not having a lot of expectations around your side to having very high expectations, talking about winning tournaments, talking about competing against Australia and England and India and trying to be one of those big four didn't quite come off in the World Cup. But hey, that's the level of expectation that you're now dealing with. And I think that's why maybe there's this kind of uh, reticence to let some of that that golden generation go a little bit. Um, should we move on, Binksy? Yeah, let, let's move on, Bordy. And I think you're going to run this little uh, session of the podcast because we are going to talk England, um, New Zealand. Lippy very quick last week to par the pressure on England and uh, talk up um, how solid the Black Caps were going to be in this series. It doesn't look that way after the the warm up game. But Bordy, I'm going to let I'm going to let you ask the uh, the leading questions uh, for this segment of the podcast. Yeah, think. well, we'll get straight into it because the the New Zealand fans were cock a hoop a week or so ago when we recorded this podcast on the back of a really convincing uh, or at least solid outing in the first warm up game. But it it hasn't gone all to plan in the second innings of this game against the and I want to get this right. Is it the County Select Eleven? I think it's the first, it the class, first class counties. First class counties eleven. Go. So essentially, all the guys that aren't really in contention for England in red ball cricket, um, and who can't quite get into their counties white ball sides. There we go. The first class <laughs> counties select eleven. Look, everything going to plan in the first innings. You know, three sixty for nine. Counties eleven bowled out two forty. No real big scores. No real surprise performances. But then it all started to unravel. In that second innings, New Zealand falling to five for nine, six for 19, all of the top order going for low scores. And it was, you know, the bottom order, Henry, Ajaz, and I think maybe Kyle Jamison made some runs at the bottom of the order to to resurrect a little bit of respectability into their scoreline. But then it got worse and worse and worse because the Select 11 came out. Ben uh, Compton uh, made 100, uh, another, a bunch of players got runs and they ended up winning the game 260 for three. How concerned are you, Stuart, now, having watched that second innings and that little bit of a blip? Is it just a blip, or are there concerns here leading into the first test? Well, we're going to find out on Thursday, I guess, aren't we? But, I mean, it's not good news, is it? It's not good news when you're 5 for 9 and, uh, you know, 19 for 6 and all of that. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one because you look at that game and you think, okay, New Zealand was trying to play, you know, 16, 17, 18 sort of players. It's not a game where... Really, the the performances actually matter. It's about getting you know overs in your legs and and all that kind of stuff. But you don't get there. You don't get time in the middle if you're all out and uh, and all that kind of thing. And that second inning, that second innings lineup. I think when you look through that, that's probably the no. They missed about with the first innings. They missed about in that first game, and well, not missed about, but you know they gave other people opportunity. The likes of Michael Bracewell got a bat up four in that first game. But this last second or the second innings, it was Young, Latham, 
Williamson, Conway, Mitchell, Blundell, de Gronholm was the top seven. I think that's going to be the top seven come Thursday. And yeah, they were 19 for six, which which doesn't look very good. On the flip side to that, you think, hooray, we're not going to be facing Jamie Porter on Thursday. Mm. And also, you know, if when you actually watch all of those dismissals, it's not a complete disaster. I don't think any of those individual batters would have anything to panic about. You looked at Will Young, who left one at jagged back, hit him on the pad, looked like he wanted to review and then realised he was in a, a first-class game and couldn't do that. Uh, it might have gone over. Conway's kept really low. He was looking at the uh, umpire going, what's going on here? Blundell looked like he'd hit his. So there you go. There's three reviews. None of those guys were all out. We'll go down that line of thinking. Latham's fished at one, caught it slip. That's not <laughs> It's not what it says on Crick Info. I'm, I'm sorry, have I got the wrong scorecard? Uh, no, it's what it says on my piece of paper here, Binksy. So uh, that's what I'm going with. But, um, you know, Colin de Gronholm blocked one. It bounced back onto his stumps. Kane's one bounced a lot more than he thought. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't think it's panic stations, but it's certainly not ideal. Mm, not ideal. I guess the con- the concern really is not just that they got rolled in maybe friendly bowling conditions, maybe a little bit of luck, but that I, either way, either their batters didn't do a job or their bowlers didn't do a job, and it kind of feels like it was kind of a little bit of both in that, which is the which would be the concerning thing for me. As far as that bowling lineup is concerned, do you have any more certainty in your view on what the selection is going to be come Thursday as far as that bowling lineup goes? Is Henry a chance to play? I, I don't have a lot of certainty in terms of what I think they will do. Um, I think I know what I would do, but it, I, I, I get the sense that Ajaz is going to play. Um, I don't really know why I think that, but I just it feels like he's been an important bowler and been used like an important bowler in these first two warm-up games. Uh, I don't know what, I mean, Binksy might be able to, maybe it's worth you jumping in. Is there any indication of what that pitch might be at Lords? Do, do we expect that it might take any spin? Uh, I'm not necessarily sure it's going to take too much spin, but but I do think... What you've seen since the drainage ring went in um, at Lords and, and other grounds as well is that the the, wick, the wickets have been a little bit drier um, to start with, um, and I, I think the other thing at Lords is you've got the slope as well, um, which you know it is going to you know just offer that little bit of difference and assistance to um, a finger spinner, a traditional finger spinner. So um, yeah, look for me the fact that Ajaz has bowled, you know. 35 36 overs in this warm-up game and um, tells me that you know he's almost you know he's almost inked in to play you would have thought um on that basis um but i look i really can't tell from you know the way your bowling card um operated the rest of that game what what the plans are henry opened the bowling i think in the first innings um but not yeah not in the second innings and i think he used like nine or ten bowlers in that second innings as well so really difficult to understand what the uh, what the plans were it's, yeah, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? Because you've got five to go into three now. If Ajaz plays, you've got five legitimate contenders to play in that test match as far as bowling options is concerned to go into three spots. Yeah, and I, and I think that's um, probably something that hasn't been talked about a huge amount is that this is actually a three-test series for New Zealand, which is something we don't play very often. And because we play so many two-test series, I think we automatically go into almost every test series now and go, okay, we're just going to play the same 11 for those two, two tests. But I don't. Th- I think there's a very good chance that we not rotate our players. But if you think Trent Bolt is coming, you know he's going to be probably on a plane now as we're recording this podcast, getting to England. He played in that IPL final last night. 
is he going to be ready to go on that in the the first test? He's been playing T Twenty cricket for the you know the last what is it two months or something. So potentially he misses out on that first test. Then it becomes if you want to play Patel, you've got a decision to make. I think Saudi pencils himself in. He's inked into the side no matter what. I and if I was picking the side, the way he's the, well, one you're in English conditions and just the way that he's bowled the last few years. So then really you're deciding between two of Jameson Wagner and Matt Henry, and they all sort of offer different things. And and yeah, I I would I would probably be leaning in that first test if you're not going to have Bolt, then you need another swing bowler early on in your um or to include in your side, and that means Matt Henry plays. And then, you know, it's a matter of Jameson and Wagner. And at the moment, James, uh, Wagner has recently been the one that they've been leaving out, And if you actually look at the, the England series and things. But I think Wagner, is a, I, I would pick Wagner. I would actually leave Jameson out. I don't think he's been at his best the last 12 months, amazing, you know, as, as amazing as his international start was. And uh, But, yeah, I, it's a really difficult decision. But I wouldn't be surprised if all five of those seamers played Across that, across that series. One of the other things I think to consider with the bowling attacks for both teams actually in this series is the the reports on the Duke cricket balls that have come out this season have not been particularly good. So um, I think Stuart Broad des- describes bowl with, bowling with this batch of Dukes as um, bowling with some old plasticine was his uh, description. <laughs> So for me, look again. I'm I'm no expert on this, but that that makes it more likely you should pick Wagner. You know, the kind of guy that if the ball is not doing as much, you've got a guy that can actually offer you a point of difference in terms of bang in or you know bowling sort of some cross seamers. Um, his angles helpful as well. So um, yeah, just one thing to throw into the mix there. But yeah, I don't know how that will play out. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we won't be. I mean, I said uh, you know we won't be bowling to. Well, Jamie Porter won't be bowling at us. Fortunately, we won't be bowling to, to Ben Compton. Because, I, I mean, I actually think, uh, you know, say those in, in jest a bit, but I think it, uh, he deserves a lot of credit. He's had an incredible start to, to the county season and um, is someone who is throwing their name in the hat for that England spot, uh, you know, potentially uh, late, not maybe not later on in the series, but uh, later on in the, in the year or something. Absolutely. And let's, so let's move from, from the Ferns to the three Lions. Adam, there's not a lot for, that you guys can take from that warm-up game from an England point of view because none of those players are likely to feature at least in the first couple of tests. Anderson and Broad are ready to go. We look like we've got to go with Jack Leach maybe as as a spin option. Who's going to be that third seamer, do you think, that's going to round out that bowling attack to go with uh, Ben Stokes a few overs from himself as captain? Yeah, so look, I, 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 I hope they hand a debut to Matty Potts, actually. That, so that, that would be, you know, where I hope they go. Um, so, yeah, for me, Anderson, Broad, um, a debutante. Um, and then, as you say, Stokes uh, to offer a bit of balance at six. Uh, and look, I think they'll pick they'll pick Leach as well um, in that attack. Can, Pot, can Potts bat? Can, would, would he bat eight? Because that, that does... I mean, not that it really should factor too much into the consideration, but obviously that would leave, you know, Broad, Anderson, Leach, and if Potts is also a number well, 10, Leach can number open 11, the batting, though. Well, that's true. Maybe Leach will open, and then that will kind of push everyone else down. But, yeah, can Potts bat? Um, look, I, look, no, nothing really to, to write home about. He's got a couple of 50s in the first-class game, um, averages 17 or thereabouts. So, look, I don't think you'd be, you know, penciling him in as a, as a future all-rounder. You know, a, a, let Dara say a, a Carl Jameson. 
um, in terms of his pedigree. Um, sort of tongue a little bit in cheek there. He's tapered off a little bit, hasn't he, Jameson, with the bat? Um, which is, pr- look, ultimately why I think Overton is in the squad. Uh, he's someone that you know they like because of his ability to bat probably at eight. I'd say he's, look, he's, he's probably an eight and a half in terms of his batting. And, um, but look, I think if we're worrying about that, we're worrying about the wrong thing. Um, you know, we, we've you know we've got to count on our top order, I think, um, to score those runs, even though they've not done that too recently in the past. Let's touch on the top order now. It looks like Alex Lees is going to open the batting for again. Uh, Zach Crawley probably at the top. Pope at three. Joe Root, uh, Johnny Bearstow, and then Ben Stokes all round out your top six probably. Uh, is that how you're seeing it, or are you seeing a different permutation potentially with? Bearstow taking the gloves and then batting at seven. Yeah, look, I don't think they'll go down the Bearstow gloves route at this stage. Um, I do want to just pick up on uh, Ben Compton. Um, this game that has just been played, the first class counties eleven, wasn't uh, first class game because um, yeah, they were kind of messing about with the permutations. But it's his seventh hundred in his last ten games of Red Bull cricket. Um, so yeah, shout out to, to him and certainly putting some pressure on. Alex Lees and Zach Crawley at the top of that order if he uh, continues to score runs through the course of the summer. The bad thing for him now is he doesn't get any more Red Bull cricket because uh, the county championship season on a little bit of a break as they play the T20 Blast uh, competition. Baldy, to answer your question, I really want him to give Brooke a go. Um, you're very rarely going to get a guy that's in as good a form as uh, as Harry Brooke. He's 850 runs for the first-class season. Uh, so far, um, he's played some cricket uh, with Joe Root, who I'm sure you know will be able to give Ben Stokes a really good view of whether or not he's good enough to to play. He's also got some runs in the blast as well. He's played a couple of games for Yorkshire um, leading into this Test match as well, just failing to get them over the line um, in the Roses game, a tied game in that T20. So that's where I'd like to see them go. I don't think they will. I think they'll stick with Bairstow, even though he's going to be you know pretty fresh off the plane from the IPL. Um, but yeah, that'd be the one, you know, the one thing I'd like uh, to see McCullum sort of, uh, you know, usher in his reign with debutants and um, Potts and, uh, and Brooke as well. Uh, you calling for, for Bearstow not to play will make uh, our friend here, Michael Baldwin, uh, pretty upset. He's uh, made it very clear that Bearstow is one of his favourite cricketers to watch. And uh, so that would be very disappointing. But what have you made of uh, McCullum, his recent comments I think that's probably a place where we've talked a little bit about his impact last week and, and what we think. But do, do you think that that's like, – he's only been – he's what, been in the country a week or something? I mean, from a New Zealand point of view, having him on the opposition bench absolutely terrifies me. It's made me probably more nervous about this uh, series than I might have been otherwise. I don't really know why because, like I said, he's only been there a week. But do you think we're going to see – uh, an instant impact, and you know, are we going to notice that the side is instantly different under McCullum and Stokes, or is this? Do you think that this is something that they're going to be looking at a longer term picture, a twelve months time? The side is going to look different in terms of personnel because there's already been chat about some players potentially interested in coming back and playing Test cricket, or is this going to be you know immediately we go okay, this is a completely new style of cricket from England? Yeah, look. I- I don't think it's necessarily going to be a completely new style. We talked a little bit about it in the last segment, uh, the kind of evolution versus revolution. 
the, the squad's actually not that different. You know, they're backing um, a couple of guys in Crawley and Pope who have had mixed success over their relatively short England careers so far being you know good enough to actually work out how they're going to play at this game and I think what England are hoping is that someone like McCullum can facilitate that in them um, and you know one of the really interesting things he said quite a lot um, over the course of the last week or so my favorite comment that, that he's made actually was one to Ollie Pope where he says um, don't see the fact that you're going to bat at three as us having a gamble on this um, see you batting at three as being how much we actually rate you um and 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 hopefully that gives you know ollie pope that sort of confidence um to take that into the game look i certainly think what mccullum will do is leave no stone unturned in terms of the way that he develops his personal relationships with players so i know um from all the press that we've seen he's had a conversation with moeen ali um, he's had a conversation with Joss Butler. Um, so look, I, I think he will be going out there and finding out who, you know, who has got the desire, who wants to get back in the, the side if they're not currently in it. Um, and, you know, he's, he's also sort of mentioned a couple of other players as well, Adil Rashid and Liam Livingston as well. So um, I think he's going to be relatively open-minded. As an England fan, I'm not expecting him necessarily to downfall um, his former compatriots. Um, I'm seeing this as, you know, a, a little bit of a journey for us as a, as a test playing nation. Um, so look, I just want to see him given um, the opportunity that someone like Silverwood was to actually have a crack at running the side for a period of time um, and see if he can do what he did with that New Zealand team in terms of improving the culture over a sustained period of time. Before we sort of, I, I know we sort of have to do our um, picks. Uh, Bold predictions and picks. Before, uh, for uh, any sort of series starting. But what on earth is going on with these ticket prices, Bixie? I, 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 maybe it's being overblown on social media, but these £140 for a ticket for a child to go along. So, you know, take your, take your son along and it's cost you £280. That That's absolutely bonkers. I. That's that's more than it costs to go and watch a whole summer. That's a thousand. That's a thousand New Zealand dollars almost. <laughs> give us give us some credit, but yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It costs it's more than it would cost you to go for a whole summer of cricket. I think here. Yeah, look, we're never ever going to get an answer to this that's going to going to suit um, everybody. Um, look, I, I think what I would probably equate this with is. Um, any other form of entertainment. Um, you know, my two boys, mad keen into Ed Sheeran at the moment, um, can't get a ticket to go and watch 90 minutes of him strum a guitar for, for less than about 150 bucks. Um, and I'm going to get maybe an hour and a half out of that um, and pay for parking for the privilege and a pretty shit hot dog as well, I'm sure, at the, the Vector <laughs> Arena. And compare it with Premier League football, average ticket price is probably somewhere in the 40 or 50 pound uh, region. Um, for a premiership football game, you get 90 minutes of that. When you actually look at it, you know, you're going to get seven hours of test cricket, which would be, you know, three games of Premier League football, um, you know, in some pretty good venues, um, uh, particularly the home of cricket. So from a value for money perspective, um, look, I, I don't think it's that much out there in terms of some of the competition that you might have. Um, but clearly, you know, a price like that is always going to price someone out of, uh, out of the game. Right, it's time. Let's go with. Do you want to go with bold predictions first? I've got one, and sure. it's and it's the same as I always have with any England series, and that, that there's going to be a change in the openers, <laughs> and we're going to have at least. I'm going to say at least three openers in this three-test series, which isn't actually that bold. It just means that either Lee's or 
or Crawley. Crawley will get dropped as an opener. Or Leach, I guess. Or, or, I guess, or Leach will bat at the top of the order. But I'm not counting that if he bats as a night watchman. So can we can we can, can so we count out though any night watchman openers in this? Or, or you, yep. are you, are you, yep. you you're factoring that in as well? If if England play a night watchman as an opening batter, I will be absolutely stunned. I will my smack will be gobbed. But I'm predicting that an actual opener will actually get dropped in this series, and that will be my not so bold prediction for this series. Stuart, do you have one for this? England and New Zealand test series? Uh, I, th- I think I'm just going to stick with my... Uh, I'm just going to keep all my Will Young stock, really. I, I know that I put the mockers on him in the South Africa series, so I hope I'm, really hope I'm not doing that here. But he's gone over to England. He's, he's uh, you know, done reasonably well for North Hants over there. In a, you know, I guess sort of in that uh, opening position, you have a few failures, but when you get in, you stick around for a long time. And... I don't know. I've just been really impressed with what I've seen from him at the international level. I continue to think that he's going to be, he's stepped into those Ross Taylor shoes. He's not going to be Ross Taylor, but that he's going to give us a reliable player at the top, in the, in the top four for a reasonably significant amount of time. And he hasn't got that test hundred yet. And I'm going to, I'm going to say that uh, this series is, is it. He's going to get a hundred, hundred this series for Will Young. hundred for Will Young. And that is bold. Adam, it's your turn. You've heard our, our two not not all that flashy bold predictions. What have you got for us? Yeah, look, I'm slightly going to downgrade my prediction. I, I think I said that Ollie Pope was going to have a massive series in the West Indies, and then he didn't even get on the park. So, um, <laughs> but I am going to predict that we're going to see uh, an, an Ollie Pope Test hundred in this uh, in this series. Uh, and you know what? To make it bold, I'll say it's a double. Whew. Now that is bold. That's what we like to see. A bold prediction of both hundreds and double hundreds in this series and a changing openers. Right, it's time to put our money on the line. I'm going to let you two guys go first uh, because you've got some skin in the game. I'm just a merely impartial observer at this point. So, Binksy, let's start with you. England versus New Zealand. Three tests at home for England. What's the series score going to be? I'm going to go with Glenn McGrath. 5-0 New Zealand. <laughs> Five nil New Zealand. No, I, I think and New Zealand that, take. That I, I think New Zealand take the series three nil. Oh, I'm not. I'm not playing these mind games. I, I hate these these little sections that because no nobody tells the truth anymore. It's uh, it's become this sort of weird dance. But look, to in in all honesty, a, a week ago or maybe even two weeks ago, I I was feeling a lot more confident about it than I do now, and it's not just because of that uh, the performance in this uh, warm up game. I just sort of start, I don't know, just these lingering doubts. And Come maybe, on, Stuart, give us a prediction. Is, maybe be this, bold. Well, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna, still going to give you my prediction, but I'm going to explain it a little bit because I, I feel like uh, maybe it's these, you know, long history of being a New Zealand cricket fan that there's always that little nagging doubt in the back of your mind. But I still think we'll win this series. I think it'll be 2-1. I think it'll be closer than, uh, you know, maybe, well, certainly closer than, than Binksy expects, but... We don't have a great record in England. We won well, won the series last time, and I think it was the first series we'd won in England for quite a long time. I, I just think that, yeah, there's going to be a lot riding on that top four for New Zealand. I'm, I'm a bit concerned. I think Nichols is going to – we probably didn't mention that before, but Henry Nichols, I feel like he's going to miss that first game, whether he, he's fit enough for the second and third tests. But it does make that middle order feel a bit fragile, and if that top four doesn't fire, then, yeah, we're, we're in a bit of strife. So – Yep, I'm 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 going to stick with New Zealand because I kind of always will, um, but I'm not feeling as confident about it as I might have three months ago. 
I was really hoping that Adam was going to protect England and you were going to protect New Zealand to be the series winners. And then I could take the series draw as being whatever was left over because that's worked well for me recently. It worked well in, in our IPL finals predictions. I got the field and, and I was left with the winner. Well, you think you got the field, but anyway, you carry on. I, I, I got the field <laughs> and, and I got the winner. That's what happened. I'm going to go with a series draw. One all uh, with, with a draw, either lost to weather or, or just teams you know hanging on for a draw as, as we've seen happen a couple of times in recent series. I, I just think it's going to be a really close series. I think England are on the up. I think there are a couple of question marks for New Zealand, and I think it will be a one-all series draw. Um, um, we don't have to investigate it further now because we're, we're right at the end of the podcast, but I do think uh, England on the up is an interesting uh, <laughs> interesting way to... Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> Nowhere to go way. but up. Rock bottom, isn't it, Binksy? Uh, sorry, mate, you were cutting out a little bit there. I'm recording remotely tonight. Didn't quite, uh, didn't quite get all of that, but I'm sure you were taking the piss. <laughs> Boys, that does just about wrap up the podcast for this evening. In just over a week's time, we will know the answer to some of our questions around this England-New Zealand series um, and plenty of other um, cricket also on the agenda now that the IPL's finished as well. So we'll get into that over the course of the next few weeks. But for now, it is good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. Stay tuned um, to the podcast and we'll speak to you next week. See you soon.